Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. We have uh, been going through the Lord's Prayer verse by verse, and this Sunday we're honing in on um, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That word kingdom, it's not usually one that makes its way into our vocabulary on a day-to-day basis, is it? You don't usually throw that around, or maybe you do, you know, how's your kingdom today? I don't usually relate to things with that type of terminology, I don't find practical occasions where I'm using that word. However, my life is constantly overlapping within the realm of that terminology, and so is yours. And this is why. Everyone has a kingdom. You have one. I have one. Whether you know it or not, you have a kingdom, which when we speak of kingdom, we're really speaking about a domain of authority. You have a particular degree, a certain degree of authority that has been given to you. And that authority is exercised in a particular domain. Now, it could be a lot of authority. It could be a big kingdom, so to speak. Or it could be a small one. You might have a lot of people that are entrusted to you. You might be a CEO of a large company or you might uh, be doing uh, certain things in life that has implications that are far-reaching. Your kingdom might be big. You might be homeless. You might not have a single possession to your name. You still have a kingdom. You have a body. You are in possession of a particular domain, space, a realm. And every act of your will is an exercise of that authority. Could be big, could be small, but you have a kingdom. We all do. Now, when the Bible refers to the kingdom of God, it's referring to his domain, his realm of authority, his right to rule and to reign. Now, unlike ours, which is allotted to us and which is to a certain degree, his, the psalmist declares in Psalm 103, he says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. His authority, his kingdom is of the highest order. His right to rule and reign and the domain in which it is exercised is of ultimate authority and it knows no bounds and it comes from a God who makes right choices and good decisions and always thinks the right thing and always follows through in the right way and always does good things. A benevolent, kind, merciful God who has a kingdom. Psalm 145, 13, your kingdom, O God, is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. It's one that'll never end. It is indestructible. It is far-reaching. It is of the highest authority, and it is good. Every Christian believes that. But you might be hearing this, and this is completely understandable, hearing this 
language of God's kingdom. His throne is established. His kingdom rules over all. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures. All of this language about God's kingdom. His rule and his reign are far-reaching of the highest authority. And that is, the, uh, that is the, the kingdom of God that we speak of. And yet you might notice a little bit of a disconnect. If God has a kingdom, then what is all this other stuff that we're looking at? It doesn't take too long to scan the headlines, look at a newspaper, watch TV, step outside of the house to notice that things don't really look like what we at least would imagine God's kingdom to be like. You open up a newspaper, you see uh, threats of, from groups like ISIS, you see threats of nuclear war, you see abortion, poverty, slavery, Racism, violence escalating, not just abroad, but in our own neighborhoods. You see things that don't look like God's kingdom. Yet you hear Psalms and you hear declarations in the Bible that his kingdom is everlasting and his kingdom and his kingdom and his kingdom. And you might look outside of your window and say, where is this kingdom? those are a list of the big things. Even in the small things, it might cause you to say such things. This past week, my daughter had a fever. She's two and a half years old, and apparently all the two and a half year olds in Santa Barbara have a fever right now. It's not her fault. <laughs> or maybe it is, I don't know. <laughs> somehow, it, somehow they catch each other's fever. But, you know, it's... Not any surprise, and it's certainly not her first fever, and it's normal, and kids get fevers, but it, it never gets easy. I just remember this past week looking at my little girl, two-and-a-half-year-old girl, Abby, and seeing just her face in, in, in torment, like she's just this face that's normally just filled with life and joy, and this goofy side to her is just weighed down, she's grumpy and sad, and one particular day, she's just at the height of her fever. She's hit like a, almost 104, and she's just vomiting into this bowl in my living room. And I'm here, you know, she has the longest hair of any two-year-old ever, pulling back those brown locks past her ear. She throws up and didn't even think I was going to have to do that for the next 20 years. But here I am pulling her hair back as a <laughs> two-and-a-half-year-old while my daughter's is throwing up and she, you know she's two she looks at me she doesn't know why her body is doing this and she looks at me like hey help you know like take this stop help me I can't do anything except to hold her and whisper to her and embrace her and hold her hair back even in the little things like fevers to the big things that plague our, our country, our nation, our cities, our world, our communities, our families. The list is, is, is depressingly endless. And perhaps for some of you, it's causing you to just, just groan inside. You ever do that? You ever just open up Facebook and see a headline, you just shut your laptop or your computer and you're like, just want to go back to bed. 
turn on the TV, see something, immediately your demeanor changes, groaning inside. Why is it like this? This is not the way that it's supposed to be. That groaning is at the heart of this prayer. Your groaning is right. And far from telling us to suppress those types of emotions, we're led by the Bible to express those emotions. Not blindly, not off into the corner, not letting our emotions run amok, but to point them heavenward to the help that is coming towards us. That groan inside is at the heart of this kingdom-minded prayer. The reason that his rule, and this might be the question we're asking, is if God's kingdom is ultimate and God's kingdom is good, why isn't his rule and reign being enacted everywhere? Why are things happening all over the world that don't seem to sit well with God's kingdom, that look like the opposite of his kingdom? Why are things happening in my life that don't seem to square with the good life of heaven? Why isn't his rule enacted everywhere? And the answer that many of you probably know, at at least at this point, is, uh, to put it simply, is sin. From the very beginning, starting in Genesis, the first three chapters, God creates the world. He creates that which is tangible so that his kingdom could have tangible expression. Creates a garden with an intent to extend his rule and reign to be experienced by his good creation. And then he creates human beings, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. And in a display of trust, beauty, and love, He gives them an incredible amount of stewardship over his kingdom. You could say that he gives to Adam and Eve stewardship over his rule and reign, his kingdom. They are, you might put it this way, vice regents of God's kingdom, ambassadors, cultivators, And what they do, what we see in the first chapters of Genesis, that they do with all of this power and authority and participation and trust is to rebel against God by by stiff-arming the grace of God, turning away from him and having their own way. Humanity has been doing that ever since. The Bible tells us straight up, very simply, that this brings sin into the world and God's design is distorted And we see that in a number of ways. And if you look out at anything, whether it's a headline or a broken relationship or a deep-seated bad issue or something of, uh, you know, uh, a, a greater magnitude, anything that is bad can probably be thought of in three ways. They are kingdoms in rebellion. One of the ways we see that is in people. People who have their own little kingdom are in rebellion against God. And we see that from broken relationships, from bad desires, destructive habits, anger, uh, lust, all of those different things. That comes from a single individual person in rebellion against the things of God. We see that in people, fallen people, right? But it's not just people. It's the place that people live in. It's the world, a world which has a worldview and a mindset that is contrary to God's kingdom, 
It's the world's kingdom. We see that in culture and in society with things uh, not limited to this, but you see it uh, in the face of individualism. You see it in materialism. You see it in idol worship and self-fulfillment. This is the environment in which we live. So it's not just people that have sinful uh, tendencies, but it's sinful, uh, people with sinful tendencies living in a world that is trying to cultivate that. Kingdom is against God. But then it's, lest we give ourselves too much credit, the Bible also speaks about a spiritual realm with Satan and demons and principalities and a spiritual influence of darkness and evil in the world. And so when you want to look at what we have going against us as the disciples of Jesus living in a world for the fame of Christ's name, wanting his kingdom to come. These are the kingdoms on the earth that are in opposition to God's kingdom, that are, of course, in opposition to us. Our own fallen tendencies, our sin, the world with all of its darkness, and Satan and its demons, spiritual warfare coming against us, the kingdoms of the earth in rebellion to God. All of this started because one person took the Lord's prayer and flipped it on its head, saying, my will be done on earth. And to this day, so that secular prayer is repeated. Now, if you're a disciple of Christ, that means you've been born again, you've decided, I am going to follow Christ against the current of the world, in the face of opposition, and you right now, To give you a picture of what all of this means for you, you are living in the tension of conflicting kingdoms. So for those of you asking, well, if God is good and his kingdom is great and yet, you know, everything around me is is crumbling, what is the explanation of that? Well, the explanation is you live in a tension. You live in tension. You live in between conflicts of kingdoms. Everything in this earth and everything in this world, including in your own will that desires things that are contrary to God, you are fighting against that, trying to live for God's kingdom. And God has you here set apart and called out of those other things to live for his kingdom. That's the word we often use this uh, giant word called sanctification to describe that. You have been sanctified. That just means you've been called out of that current. You've been called out of that opposition. You've been called out of that hostile way of viewing the Lord. You've been called out of that to live for something better, the good life of the kingdom. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 5, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have been separated from that way of life and yet you're still here. You're living in that tension, called out of it, but present in it. And if we think of all of those different ways that various kingdoms come against us and come against the fame of God, there are a variety of ways the Bible tells us that we are called to be set apart. You you speak about the kingdoms of the world and the culture and the society in which we live that is contrary, the principles in it that are contrary to the way of, of God. Well, how are we to live Against that opposition, against the kingdoms of this world, Paul tells us in Romans 12, not to be conformed to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
How is a disciple of Jesus to make it, not just to survive, but to thrive going forward as an ambassador to the kingdom in a world that does not see eye to eye with that? We are to constantly be renewing our mind. Well, with what? Well, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prayed to the Father in John uh, 17 saying, sanctify them, call them out, set them apart, make them new. Set, uh, sanctify them by your truth, Lord, your word is truth. The way that we renew our mind is by being in the word of God. If you are not in the word of God, what hope do you have of making it against that trifecta against you? If your only hope is to get it out of my 40, sometimes 50 or 55 or 62 minutes of sermons on a Sunday, Meanwhile, facing six other days of opposition from your own flesh, from the culture around you, and from Satan and his demons, getting the word of God from 40 minutes on a sermon, what hope do you have of making it? We have to be people who are renewing our mind by the word of God. But it's not just the world. As we spoke of, there's also Satan and his demons, an evil spiritual realm that is against you living for Christ. What do we do about that? And Paul tells us in Ephesians that our war, our battle is not against people, flesh and blood. It is against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realm. Our battle is against spiritual forces. And he goes on to tell us how we are to take up the full armor of God. That is, we are to engage first and foremost by identities in Christ. We're to use the resources that we've been given. And there are so many to speak of. I don't have time to speak of them now. I'm just giving us examples here. What about the kingdom of our own body, our flesh, our bad habits? You might be a Christian, a believer. Your heart is right with God. You desire the things of God, but you cannot overcome some of your habits. You say with Paul, you know, that the, the good that I want to do, I don't do. Instead, I do the, thing, the very thing that I hate. Why is that? Well, it could be because even though your heart desires the things of God, your body has been trained by years of different habits. Your body has been trained by a current in the world, by dark influences, by simple habits. You lived a life that was contrary to God for so many years, and you have developed automatic responses. It's just the way that you operate. Paul says, train yourself for godliness. How do we battle the kingdom of our own body when it's not submitting to the Lord? Well, we can use spiritual disciplines what we've been speaking about every week and we'll be speaking about all the way through May. We discipline the body, Paul said, discipline the body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself might not be disqualified. We train ourselves with new habits to realign them with where our heart wants to go. Those are some of the ways, there are many ways. The Bible is rich with how to live the life of the kingdom here in the present. But what he's saying here, all of that, to get to this point, what he's saying here is, another way is to pray. And this is how you pray. Pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
This type of prayer will shape you and prepare you to live the life that God has called you to live. Yeah, it'll change some things around you too, but it will for sure change and shape you. It will shape you and prepare you in three ways, and I wanna give you three ways to conclude this sermon. But for one, praying this particular prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will shape, number one, your view of God. It will give you a different, better, healthier view of who your God is. To even begin to mouth these words, your kingdom requires that you are aware that God is in control. To put those words on your lips requires an awareness that God has a kingdom and that it is ultimate. One which, as, uh, as Daniel said, is made without human hands, without human help, and is established by God himself and will be finished in all of its beauty and consummation when God calls it to be. Daniel chapter two, verse 44. In the, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these other kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. We live in the tension in hope of that. To even pray this prayer, your kingdom come, is to be aware that that is what is coming. And so when we pray it, we pray out of that groaning that things don't look that way. Lord, I cry out for you to show your power. Come, Lord. And I know you're coming in the future, but Lord, come, give us a glimpse of it now. We allow that conflict within us, that deep-seated sadness over the things that we face in this life, not to go wasted. We instead, we breathe it out into prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come. As Paul would say in Romans 8, Creation is groaning in pain like childbirth. Why? Waiting eagerly for redemption. We don't groan the same way that the non-believer groans. We groan with a particular type of hope. Lord, show yourself in this mess. Renew all things. Bring beauty to these ashes. Raise up, this, raise up the gates. Restore what's been broken. Expand your kingdom. It's a way for you to pray this prayer. The problem with just that first line is the way that we perceive it. You may think of the kingdom as simply getting to heaven, right? You might just be spending your life as a believer simply wanting to go away from this place with all of its mess to another better place with no mess. And maybe that has entirely shaped your Christian life. Maybe you don't talk to anybody, no non-believers, you have no form of community, you're not active uh, in the life of the church, you're not on mission in the city. Why? Because you're afraid. Your life has taken on a, what we might call a theology of escapism, you're just holding on for dear life until Jesus comes back and burns everything around you. If that's you, this prayer will start to shape your view of that. It'll start to view, too, 
your view of your circumstances. When Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, he's alluding to something. He's implying that God cares about what you're going through. And he cares about where you are. And he cares about the down here. He cares not just about the future, he cares about the present. And everything that the earth involves, every structure, every corporate entity, every relationship, every inanimate object, every entity, everything that you can touch and see and feel with the senses, God cares about his creation. He cares about groups of people. He cares about organizations. He cares about churches. He cares about city blocks. He cares about uh, the grocery store on the corner and the checkers in the stands at those grocery stores. He cares about uh, groups of people and he cares about uh, uh, different ways that they uh, meet together. Uh, He cares about issues that we face. He cares about all of that stuff. And he's not having you here so that you can just hold out with your get out of jail free card to get to heaven. A lot of that comes from a very distorted view, a caricature, if you will, of this rapture theology that we are simply here, kicking it until God takes us out of here, this dark and desperate version of our own purgatory. I'll tell you something. God cares about this place. He cares about Santa Barbara and he cares about this planet. And your calling in this life as a Christian is not to sit in your closet for years, to be quiet and to wait for him to take you up to heaven. In fact, Revelation 21 tells us that something far different from that is gonna occur. Heaven, the city of heaven, will come down to earth when God's kingdom will be consummated in all of its beauty. So if God is going to not get rid of and be indifferent to where we are, but rather renew it for his glory, that should change the way that we interact with things and people and stuff. We should care about issues in our world. We should care about stuff that's happening from the big to the small. Why? Because God cares about it. I have given them your word, Jesus prayed about us. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. See, we're not of the world. But unlike the way we sometimes feel, where we hope that he will eventually pray, well, Lord, take them out of there. He actually says, just as I am not of the world, but I do not ask that you take them out of the world. (laughs) But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You hear that? There's a weird tension in that verse that is lovely. You are not of the world. You are a citizen of heaven, but you're here by divine mandate. You could think of yourself as an ambassador of a better kingdom, representing that kingdom to a fallen one. And he says to the Father, I have sent them into the world, and we have been sent into this very world with Jesus' prayer on our lips. May your will be done where I am on earth as it is where you are in your heaven. You want to pray this prayer? 
You could just pray it as is. Here's another way you could do it. You could, you could replace that word earth because earth speaks of just the realm in which we are. Try replacing earth in your prayer life with an appropriate realm. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done at my job as it is in heaven. May the way I, I work in my job match what your heaven looks like. May your will be done in my home as it is in heaven. May your will be done in my neighborhood in the east side of Santa Barbara, on the APS, in Montecito, wherever it is that you are, Goleta. May your will be done here on my city block the way it looks like in heaven. May your will be done in my church. May your will be done in my city. May your will be done in my school, in my children's life, in my children's preschool, elementary school, high school. May it be done at UCSB. May your will be done uh, at Westmont, at City College, as it is in heaven. You could pray your prayer, that prayer like, like that. Third and finally, this prayer will begin to shape the way you view yourself changes your view of God. It gives you a glorious view of God that this is his kingdom and only he can bring it. It gives you a, a, a new shape to the way you view your own life, that God cares about everything that you see and has a plan and a purpose for it. But it will also, if you dare to pray this prayer, will begin to change the way you view yourself. If you endeavor to follow Jesus, there will come a point, there will come a point where his will conflicts with yours. If you are able to read the Bible and not be prodded in any way, you are reading it with a very particular lens. If you are married to a spouse, and you've, you never get in any arguments or disputes of any kind. I have reason to wonder if you ever talk to each other. <laughs> Gee, uh, when he did my premarital, told me if, you know, fighting is not bad. It just means you're human. And you're engaging in relationships. And you have a conflict of wills. What matters is what you, you do with that conflict. If we believe that we are less than perfect, and God is perfect, and we're going to try to do life together with him, he's going to conflict with your will. He is going to conflict with your will. And if his name, as we prayed last week, be hallowed above all things, or meaning we believe his name is to be glorified above all other names, including our own, out of that will flow that we also desire his will. To be over any other will, including our own. And I, I just have to ask you, are you prepared to pray that prayer? Are you prepared for that prayer to be answered in your life? Now, the, the church answer is to say, yeah. Yeah. I love Jesus. But I just have to share my experience. Having been here in this role 
at Reality Santa Barbara for two or three years. The numbers are blurred in my mind. (laughs) And before that, having pastored college ministry here for four years, before that, being actively involved with Ryan Hilner in the high school ministry and junior high ministry for two years, I've been in a pastoral role serving in this church for eight years. In every age group that you can imagine, and that element never changes. I always, almost on a regular basis, see people who are gung-ho about serving Jesus until his will conflicts with theirs. And at that point, this is usually, not I shouldn't say usually, a lot, the reaction of what I see. Well, that just isn't for me. Or I'm just not into the religious thing. Or I'm done with this church. Or you know what, I just, that's not my, I, I don't know what to do. That relationship that you found so romantic in the honeymoon period with your Lord really hits the fan when he tells you something in his word that you are doing that you ought not do or when you ought to do something that you are not doing. That's when the relationship gets real. And wouldn't we expect that of a a true relationship? If you live in a relationship with anybody and you never conflict with one another, I have a right to question whether you have a deep relationship. Because by entering into a marriage with my wife, I am saying to her, you know, we are very different, but I trust you. And I expect myself to change for the better because of you. And there are going to be things that you want that I don't want, and I will defer to you. Why? Because I love you. What would it be like if I told my wife or she told me, you know what? I love you as long as we never disagree. I love you, but let's just never argue. Let's just never disagree. Let's just always get, let's just, and you know, since that's nearly impossible for everyone, let's just not talk. How about you stay in the kitchen and I'll stay in the hallway and we'll never talk and we'll always get along because we never talk. What kind of relationship is that? The true ones, the deep ones, the most fulfilling and enriching ones are when two people are able to come together and conflict and make it through more in love with each other based on a foundation of trust. Do you trust the God you profess to believe in? If you don't, if you only follow him when he's good, or he's always good, but I should say if you only follow him when he does what you think is good, when he never conflicts with your will, you are not, you are not worshiping a God of the Bible. You have created a God in your own likeness. You've created a God that you find very agreeable. The Bible tells us that God will disagree with us at times. And he will call us to the mat on certain things. And he does it because he loves us. We spoke of God being our father. We kind of dip into a kind of a faulty way of viewing that, like he's more of our buddy dad that kind of just spoils us and gives us candy all the time. Never tells us no, never tells us what to do or what not to do. He just gives us treats, you know what I mean? But Hebrews tells us that a loving father disciplines those that he loves. 
When God tells us what is right and what is true, he does it because he cares. Are you prepared for this prayer to enter your life? Because I'm telling you, if you pray it, God will enter in and conflict with your will. He'll do it for your good, but it will be a conflict. Are you ready for that? If you are, here's how you can pray. Try replacing earth with me. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done in me as it is in heaven. In my life, in my attitude, in my dreams, in my temperament, in my character. You know, don't even stop there. In your prayer time, maybe ask, Lord, is there anything? Psalm 139, uh, he asks the Holy Spirit, examine my heart, see if there's any wayward way in me, uh, within me. Ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that is not aligned with your will? Oh, if you ask him, he will show you. And then you can pray, not my will. This prayer calls upon the God of heaven to move on earth and in your life powerfully, but it will also powerfully move you if you are so bold. You may say, well, I can see how that might be true, but why would I want that? Telling me about a God whose kingdom is of highest authority who is gonna conflict with my will, that doesn't sound alluring or attractive at all. You're not really selling this, Chris. (laughs) Bad salesman, bad. Why would I ever want to be moved? Well, the answer is you won't. You have a kingdom, and you by nature want to do what you want, and you won't want to be moved by anyone else, any other thing, and certainly not the God of the universe, unless you come to a place where you recognize how helpless you are in the face of your circumstances. And for some of you, you might be able to see this with just a little help from the Holy Spirit. For others, Unfortunately, it's only gonna happen when you hit rock bottom. Some of you have already hit rock bottom and you're still fighting against the rule and reign of God. I beg of you to put down your arms. Put down your weapons and serve him. Follow him, allow him to rule your life. Your heart is a tyrant and it desperately seeks a good king to rule over it. Don't you feel that in the deepest part of who you are? Give up your arms, give up your weapons, and follow a better king. Others of you have a great life, and you don't see why you need anything else. And for some of you, you're so stubborn and so self-willed that you will only get a glimpse of this when you hit rock bottom. When that time comes, and for some of you, it will. Look to the mountains where your help comes from and he will be there. When Abby was 103.9 degrees throwing up in my living room, she gave me this look. You ever had a kid and you know that look and I know I'm just one of many dads in here who've gone through fevers and sickness. You know what it's like. like. You know, like fever, it's just, it happens. It's like her third or fourth one. But it's just awful. She gives me this look, like, help me. Like, what's, she doesn't know what's happening to her body. She's just convulsing, she's throwing up. Her face is just covered in tears and snot. And just everything in me is a dad. 
wishes I could take that sickness off of her and to bear it for her. I remember speaking to Britt Merrick, the founder of Reality in Carpinteria, Reality Carpinteria right now, who told me the same thing, only not with fever, but when his daughter Daisy Love was battling cancer. He said, if, if I could, I would take it. I would take the chemo. I would take the cancer. I would take all of that. I would take the pain in my own body if I could to spare her. Any dad, I think, would say something similar. And yet, all of us are powerless to do so. I have to sit and watch my daughter suffer. And Britt had to cradle his daughter until she went to be with the Lord. We are powerless to do anything. And yet, we have someone who is called our Father, who has all power, and who doesn't just have the power to do it, who is not indifferent to our suffering, but is so in tune and empathetic and broken to our suffering that he actually stepped into our suffering and took it on himself. And this God sending his son, Jesus, took on the weight of our sin and brokenness and oppression and sickness and death and despair in hopes of freeing us from the bondage thereof. You'll never, how, you'll never believe how he started this great endeavor. In the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he was going to be facing, taking on the sin of humanity and the wrath of God, he gets on his knees and he prays and he says to the Father, if, if there's any way that you would spare me from drinking this cup, please do it. If there's any other way to do this thing, please do it. Yet not my will, but yours be done. The prayer that we're called to engage in first fell on the lips of our Savior as he was facing death, sin, and the torment of God's wrath, all for love. And he drank of that cup. He drank it down to the dregs, down to the bottom of the cup, the wrath of God, so that you would know what freedom is like. And it's this man who inaugurates the reign of God's kingdom, who makes it possible for people who are on the outside to come in. And it's this man who will usher it into its full completion in that day where we see in Revelation 21 that there will be no crying, there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more death, no more slavery, no more racism, no more violence, no more fevers, no more cancer, no more infighting. And we live in the tension between those two things. Seeing the assurance of what happened at the cross and knowing what's coming later, we live in that tension, asking from a place of groaning, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm gonna stop right there. And as I introduced last week, I just, I want us to have a, an opportunity to pray this ourselves, to taste this prayer upon our lips. There's a, a couple ways I'd love for you to, if you want, to engage in this prayer. One, uh, hopefully you got one of these at the door. 
If you don't, it's just the Lord's Prayer. I need to take this out with you and just pray it. As I said last week, I challenge you to pray this verbatim every day. Memorize it if you haven't already. As long as we're going through the prayer, this prayer together in this series, which will be about a month, just pray this prayer verbatim every day and see if it does not change all three of these things about you. I guarantee that it will. Today, I don't just want to pray verbatim. I want to take this line and I want us to chew on it together. Last week, we stood up and we, we just opened up the field and we just began to praise God. We began to hallow his name. Wasn't that so good? Could have done that five times as long, but we ran out of time. But Just filling this room with the praise of God. I want to, I want to pray again similarly, but not like that. Not, not together as one body, but in small groups. In a minute, I'm going to ask you guys to just turn to one or two people next to you and just begin to pray for God's kingdom and his will to come. I know what you introverts are thinking right now. You hate me. Probably never going to come back. Let me just say, I, I feel you. I'm an INFJ, which is short for the creepiest type of introvert there is. And I don't like doing this type of thing either. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because we need each other and it's good for us to be sharpened. And if this is too much for you, we get it. Just be silent in a group with someone, agree in prayer, totally chill. But if you want to, step out of your comfort zone for 30 seconds to say, God, help. That might change you too. And in the weeks to come, we're going to get so introverted and contemplative, you will come back for the next 10 years. <laughs> and all the extroverts will be hating on me. But we're going to explore various ways of relating to God in prayer. Because the kingdom of God is not extroversion or introversion. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just asking that you would step out of your zone just for a moment. And let's just try this for five minutes. Here's what we can be praying towards. I'm gonna to make this so simple. Let's, there's so many things we could pray for, right? His kingdom. I'm just gonna make it simple. Don't pray for the world. Don't pray for nations. Don't pray for wars. Don't pray for all of these things. Let's just concentrate on us and our own lives since that is the first collision of wills. Let's just begin to ask, Lord, let your will be done in my life. And here's what you could do right now. What's the first thing to come to your mind when we speak about these things? Take that. Might be a relationship you're in. Might be a habit or a pattern in your life. It might be an ambition. Whatever it is, grab that right now and pray for that. And begin to imagine, what would it look like if God's will were done in that situation? Got it? Put it into words. Ask for it to happen. And that's it. And if something else comes to mind, pray it. Just has just a few seconds. Just shoot it out in prayer. While the rest of you are hearing that prayer, agree in prayer. There is power in agreement. So you're not just sitting there waiting until your turn to pray awkwardly. You know, you're agreeing with that other person in prayer. And in that little group, in that little pocket, is a fragrance of God's kingdom rising to heaven. In various pockets throughout the room. Let's, let's just try it. I know it's hard. I know it's weird. Churches don't normally pray like this. But I don't know why not. 
Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And I think we could just try for five minutes to do that. And who knows? It might whet your appetite for years to come. After five minutes, a worship team will come out and guide us into a, another form of worship. But now, um, turn to one or two people next to you and let those groans be heard. Let's do it.